Hi everyone, I'm Coco Moret, lifestyle editor of Tatler Singapore. You're listening to Decoding Brilliance, our new podcast series in partnership with Tiffany and Co. Here, we dive deep into the illuminating realms of jewelry, the social impact of gems, languages of love, masterful craftsmanship, and innovative design, marrying precious moments with precious stones. So Paige, as a gemologist and a jewelry connoisseur, I just want to get your perspective on the difference between lab-grown diamonds and natural diamonds. As we know, all diamonds aren't created equal. So what's your take on this? Well, I'd love to tell the audience that I am not a connoisseur. <laughs> I am a collector <laughs> and uh, I adore diamonds. I adore colored stones and I am a gemologist through GIA, uh, which is the Gemological Institute of America. I became one in 2013 and an interesting story is I was a client of Christie's and Christie's Singapore took their team to GIA to learn and Christy Singapore took a few clients and they said, Paige, would you like to come? And so I went and um, we were in Bangkok and I love the classes so much and I enjoyed them so much. And I had been collecting a little bit, but to learn about kind of the inclusions and all of the different things that were going on inside of that Sapphire, mm -hmm. um, to really understand it all, I just found fascinating. And two years later, I was a gemologist through GIA. I continued the course, I continued the work, I did all the grading of the stones. So I am not a connoisseur, but I am passionate about gemstones. And I think one of the best things, my husband jokes and says the best thing that ever happened was I became a gemologist because I started buying less. Because <laughs> once you're educated and you really know about stones and you start to understand that 96% of stones are treated and, and, and really understand the quality and when to buy quality versus the aesthetic, it makes you kind of a smarter buyer. So I am a gemologist, I am passionate about stones, but I, I'm not, I know everything about gemstones, but I'll give you my idea on lab versus uh, natural diamonds. They are both the exact same thing, composition-wise. They're both pure carbon. One forms, the natural one forms under the ground. The carbon is heated and um, exposed to high pressure over billions of years underneath the Earth's surface. And then over centuries, this rises up through rock. And then miners go in and excavate the diamond from the rock and then take it and it's polished. And then it ultimately ends up in the store for all of us to buy. And the same thing happens in the lab. They take carbon, they take a carbon seed. It can be a natural diamond. It can be a labron diamond. And then it's exposed to the same high pressure and high temperature. And then that diamond is grown in the lab. So they are the exact same thing. GIA since uh, 2007 has graded um, natural and lab grown diamonds. In 2019, they stopped saying synthetic for lab grown. So now on the report itself, it will say um, how it was um, its origin, if it was through grown in the lab or if it's natural through the earth. Right. So, I mean, even now GIA is grading lab grown just like they're grading natural. Right. So they are the exact same. They're both pure carbon. Right. So then that brings up the sort of topic of what, you know, they're exactly the same thing composition wise, but to the naked eye, trained or untrained, what are the differences between lab-grown and natural? Can that be seen at all? Absolutely not. Anybody who tells you that they can tell the difference between a lab-grown and a natural, I mean, they're a magician. 
<laughs> it's, I mean, that's, they are actually, they're, they're, they're not telling the truth, but you, the naked eye, you cannot tell. Right. Even through machines, it's difficult. Right. Now, uh, all lab grown are supposed to have uh, a number on them or some kind of um, etching so that you know that it's a lab grown. But even natural stones now, almost all of them have track and trace so that there's some kind of inclusion on them mm -hmm. so that you know exactly where that natural stone has come from. But the naked eye cannot tell the difference. Mm -hmm. Now, as we proceed with lab-grown, if they start to make very esoteric shapes, which we haven't seen with natural, mm -hmm. then we might think, oh, this must be lab-grown. Because you think about the way diamonds are cut, they, they're cut to maximize the raw because the raw is so expensive in a natural stone. So if they start to make really funky shapes, then you'll probably go, it must be lab grown. Right. So I guess then that comes down, like that breaks everything down to the only difference being say ethics and expediting the process of that carbon becoming a diamond. So what's your take on that? Because you know, the value of a diamond does come down to the rarity, how hard they are to find, but if they're being able to be grown in the fraction of the time that it takes nature to develop them, um, what does that mean for diamonds in general? Right now, after COVID, we're looking at high diamond prices because um, plenty of the mines, especially like Arosa, De Beers, any of the smaller mines, they closed during COVID. And so they weren't producing at capacity. And those, those are now producing at capacity and they can't meet demand. Uh, after COVID, there's kind of this buying revenge and people want diamonds. So diamonds are actually, I think um, 2019 was about, um, I don't know, 70 million. Um, it was highest like 2014, 2015, it was around 79 million. Uh, sorry, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, 79 million in sales. So you're looking at um, high demand right now for diamonds. And so diamond prices are doing well. But you're also looking at um, this younger millennial mindset, which is very, very interested in the fact that they see lab-grown diamonds as a more ethical way mm -hmm. to own a diamond. Right. And you can look at sustainability. You can look at the fact that um, you know they're not excavating the earth. Mm -hmm. It's all done in a lab. And so I think for diamonds itself, um, you're, you're going to see a certain demographic who will not buy diamonds ever again, because for them, the idea of sustainability is, is so important that they will only grow a lab-grown diamond. Right. Having said that, diamonds that come out of the ground are one of a kinds. There is complete rarity. With a lab-grown diamond, the better they get at growing lab-grown diamonds and the more they produce, we can only think with supply and demand, their price is gonna go down. Mm -hmm. So if you are an investor looking to put your money into a commodity like a diamond, and you want to have value when you resell it, if you buy a Labron diamond, you're not certain you're gonna be able to resell that at the same price that you put into it. Right. So for somebody who's looking at um, a million dollar diamond, I don't know that they would spend, if it was 30% less to get a Labron, mm -hmm. I don't know that they would do that because they might think I'm not getting the money back. But for somebody who's looking at buying a two carat stone, then perhaps you know that, that price point doesn't really matter so much to them. They're more willing to go into the lab grown and the, and the savings. Also with the lab grown, they're gonna be able to get a bigger stone for less money. Mm -hmm. 
which uh, appeals to some people, especially on the, the lower end of the market. Uh, for, for many of us, I think the emotion uh, attached to the big diamond, the bigger, the more love, right? Right. And so for people who don't have as much money to spend on it, then they would say, if I get a lab grown, then I can get a bigger one. And that's, that's more love. Of course. Yeah. But you also mentioned, we had sort of a brief conversation before this, in terms of sustainability, that lab-grown has its own set of problems, I guess, that some people should think about if they're looking at it from that ethical, sustainable point of view, the amount of energy that it takes to create a lab-grown diamond. And as you said, you know, demand is only going to increase with the next generation and how they consume. So that sort of mass production will come with its own set of problems. Um, can you offer your take on that? Sure. So there's... Um an enormous amount of electricity to go into lab-grown diamonds, an enormous amount of water. So the, those two things are real. Another thing I think that we often don't think about is the fact that lab-grown diamonds are being grown by big corporations in developed countries. And at present, uh, when you think about natural diamonds, the Kimberley process happened in 2003 when there was so much noise about conflict diamonds. Right. So since then, the diamond industry has cleaned up so much. I think people would be shocked at how much better it is now. De Beers says that 99.8% of diamonds now are part of the Kimberley process. So that means you can track, you can prove that it's not a conflict stone. So that's pretty remarkable in a very short amount of time. Beyond that, you have these, these there are 10 million people around the world who are working in the diamond industry. A third of those miners are women. Many of the companies that are mining in these small places are building schools, they're building hospitals, they're educating the people. I mean, they are, they are helping them grow food. They are, they are stabilizing and, and helping these communities. Mm -hmm. So when you start thinking about cutting that out and only having the lab grown, there are consequences that are different and maybe even bigger than mm -hmm. what anybody's really talking about or thinking about. Right. So it's, it's not so clear and easy. It's, it's, um, it's not black and white. It's not that one is sustainable and one is not. Mm -hmm. And I think for everybody listening, it's a choice. And if you want to buy a Labron diamond, that's excellent. Mm -hmm. And now if you wanna buy a natural stone, I know Tiffany, I mean, since 2020, all of their stones are etched so that you know where it came from. Right. I mean, they've got the T and Co on their diamonds and you know where it came from, you know it's clean. Mm -hmm. Now with blockchain, you're gonna be able to see the origin of a stone. It's gonna have all of the characteristics of the stone on the blockchain, as well as the ownership. So as it moves along the cycle, if, if I resell my diamond to you, it will be on the blockchain. Yeah. Provenance and ownership and, and the characteristics. It's all there. Right. So the, the notion, and, and I do think that they've cleaned up so much. I mean, talking about human rights and talking about how things are. I'm not defending the diamond industry, but I do think that there's an other side to the story that nobody is really thinking about or talking about. I mean, these lifelong diamonds have been worn by celebrities like JLo and Zendaya. Obviously, they're pushing for the fact that they're more sustainable. How will that endorsement impact the acceptance of lab-grown diamonds, I guess, among fans and younger people who you know, are looking forward to getting engaged later or starting to earn money and thinking about you know, growing their jewelry collection? Right. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen is we're all going to have lab-grown and we're all going to have natural. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you 
I mean, for some people, it's going to be one way or the highway. It's yep, going to right. be, you know, they're, they're, they're ride or die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for somebody like JLo, having said that she's now wearing lab grown, her engagement ring is an eight carat green emerald, which is the rarest natural diamond. That there, I mean, uh, sorry, it is an eight carat green diamond, right. which is the rarest of diamonds. That's her uh, engagement ring with, with Ben. Right. So yes, she may be wearing lab grown, but as far as the most symbolic ring that he could give to her for an engagement ring, I mean, it's been valued at over $3 million, this ring that mm -hmm. she's wearing. It is a natural stone. Right. It's I mean, not a lab grown. There's some stones that you just cannot get from a lab, right? Or a certain sort of quality that you can't get. Would you well, say? Actually, you can because you could produce that. So they're producing colored stone. They're called, they will produce everything will be right. grown in a lab. So you will be able to get the eight carat. I'm sure they are already making in the lab replicas of JLo's natural stone. <laughs> Truly, I'm sure they're already working on that. Uh, the colorless is easier, but they will get to colored stones. Mm -hmm. so, so I think we're just gonna see people embrace both. And I think also sometimes when we look at jewelry, sometimes it's an aesthetic piece where uh, the fact that it's a sapphire that's been treated, but it's just a very cool setting and the price point is not bad. So we're like, I love this, this as an aesthetic piece. But if you're looking at, at, looking at it as an investment piece that is you know, a sapphire, which is Burmese, which is over eight carats, I mean, you want no treatment on that. So it depends on what you're looking at. Uh, yeah, so I think we're gonna see more and more people embracing both. And for somebody like Zendaya, who's younger, she may say, I'm only gonna go mm -hmm. with lab-grown stones. I'm sure we'll see more and more people doing that. But I also think you're gonna see a lot of people kind of um, riding between the two. But I think in all of it, when you think about the lab-grown versus the natural, it's all a part of storytelling. For sure. And you look at De Beers in 1947, their copywriter for their ad agency came, in, came up with Diamonds Are Forever. Mm -hmm. And we've all believed that when we get engaged, we're supposed to get a diamond. And I think now, you know, people care so much more about, as you said, the provenance, the storytelling behind a brand. They want to feel that connection with a brand or a product, um, you know, and for such a long time with diamonds, engagement rings, it was selling that romance, that fairy tale. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where brands take that storytelling when it comes to something as sort of controversial and maybe not quite understood yet as, as lab-grown diamonds? Well, I think it just takes education. I don't for think sure. it has to be controversial. Yeah. For, for someone like LVMH and even Tiffany, mm -hmm. where they are putting money into mining ethically, mining responsibly. I mean, they're, they're doing so much to make sure that their natural stones yeah. are, are the provenance, everything about them is clean. Mm -hmm. And the people that are taking care of them and mining them, they are taking care of these people. Mm -hmm. So as you said, the market's changing. It's no longer so black and white. As it's changing, what are the sort of questions that people should be asking um, you know, when, the, when they're buying diamonds to make sure that, say, if they want to buy a natural diamond, it is ethical, it can be traced back to its origins. What would you suggest people ask? Well, I think you've got to have the right, you've got to have a cert with any diamond. And as I said before, GIA, the Gem Institute of America, they're doing, um, their certs are uh, for natural as well as lab grown. They grade them the exact same way with the four C's. And it will just say at the bottom, it will say how um, it was mined or how it was formed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one is formed in the earth and one is formed in the lab through CBD or 
through uh, HPHT, through high pressure, high temperature. And you, so you just would need to make sure that you have the cert. As far as the etching on it, it's not called etching. I don't know what the professional name is. And it's not a laser. It's even finer than a laser. But I know that now most of the companies are, uh, this is something that they're going to. Blockchain is bigger and bigger when it comes to diamonds so that you actually know exactly where it came out of the ground. Right. You know, and, and this is just something that is normal now. It's to be expected, and it's something that you should ask the jeweler about. And if the jeweler is not able to offer you these things, then you probably want to go to another jeweler. Right. Jeweler. One of the things I worry about, I was talking with my husband, Jim, last night about this, is that, you know, yeah. so when, especially when you start to look at the secondary market, you know, um, are people going to say, I would rather pay a premium for this one because I know this was mined ethically and I know where it came from, but this stone over here, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see because, you know, obviously when you inherit pieces from, say, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, any sort of family heirloom, there really is no way or very little way or it would be extremely difficult to trace the sort of that side of things. Yeah. 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 Well, we've spoken a lot about ethics and sustainability, but I think there is also still that kind of connection, romance, just love and value that comes with these pieces that I think sometimes... You know, obviously we care a lot about sustainability and ethics, but like if it's something that's that special, mm -hmm. I think it's worth just kind of cherishing that piece without questioning too much about the history of it because it was before a time and before we knew about all these things. Um, what would you, what's your take on that? I mean, I completely agree. How, having said that, that's because the emotion is with me. Right. But for somebody else who's looking, say they're buying it through an auction 30 years down the road, mm -hmm. say my, I give it to my daughters, they don't want it. And then all of a sudden the stone is up for sale and it's up against another stone, which is newer. And they know that it was mined in a certain way and they know where it came from. Are they going to pay a premium over that stone over mine? Mm -hmm. We won't know for some time. Yeah. But I do think that this is an idea that um, is interesting to consider. For sure. I mean, it's all kind of up in the air at the moment because it's still such a new industry, as you said, and uh, the sort of reaction to it, to it is yet to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us, is there anything happening sort of globally in the world right now that is giving lab-grown diamonds favor? I think one of the most interesting things is because we came out of the pandemic, you saw the supply of diamonds going down. And you saw the demand going up as we came out of the pandemic. People wanted them because there's all this revenge travel, revenge spend. And Al Rosa, which is one of the largest diamond producers in the world, uh, in Russia, was set in February this year to have kind of their, their biggest production that they've had. Um, and then sanctions, sanctions hit. And so all of a sudden, you can't buy any of the diamonds from Russia from Mount Rosa. And I think F India gets like 50% of its diamonds from um, Russia, from Russia right. yeah, which is, which is massive. Yeah. So what you have is when you have the supply diminish, which it obviously will because you don't have the Russian uh, supply, then you have the price of diamonds go up. And as the price of diamonds goes up, that pushes more and more people to discover lab-grown diamonds. And then they start to think, they start to, to Google, because I was, um, I'm crazy over podcast and I was um, looking up like lab diamonds and all this kind of stuff a few weeks ago. And um, 
the, the Google search was very high. People are really, really looking more and more and more. And yeah. that means people are going to be driven to consider lateral diamonds because they can get a bigger diamond for less money, especially as the price of natural diamonds goes up. Right. Yeah. So I think that's working in their favor. Having that sort of mass production, that accessibility, do you think that's going to change the sort of general perception of diamonds? Will people see them as less valuable? Will people... For the natural diamonds? Just diamonds the, in general. Well, I, you know, my husband asked me about this. I don't think so because you're going to see a massive amount of lab-grown diamonds. But there's, I mean, for no matter, people always say like the diamond industry is sitting on diamonds. I mean, they're producing what they can produce right now. And, and there is a maximum amount. Many, um, Argyle had to close in Australia mm -hmm. a few years ago. I mean, diamond mines are getting depleted. They're having to go deeper. Um, they're using smaller and smaller, um, they're smaller and smaller places that they're trying to explore. So, I mean, there, there, there is not an endless supply of diamonds. Right. So I think that we're not gonna see a massive blood on diamonds, mm -hmm. but lab created, that's my concern for anybody buying lab created diamonds is that as they produce more and more, the value on their stone is gonna go down. Right. So let's say they spend 25,000 on a ring, a lab grown diamond, and then they wanna sell it in three years. I'm not convinced they're gonna be able to get their 25,000 back. Mm -hmm. And one of the wonderful things about buying gemstones, which are natural and not treated, um, is that they tend to hold their value, even when there's inflation, even when, when the um, economy's not doing well. Uh, people often see, uh, you know, really quality gemstones as a place to, a safe haven. Right. And so I think natural diamonds, no, we're not gonna have a glut and it's not gonna be saturated, but there could be a chance that lab-grown uh, could, could produce too many so that their value goes down. I think that many people in the diamond industry, the natural diamond industry are hoping that they produce so many lab diamonds that they become almost lower tier, so cheap mm -hmm. that they don't even compete with natural. Cause right now they're 30 to 40% cheaper. Okay. So people That's kind of see them. Yeah, but people still kind of see them because they are the same. I mean, it's pure carbon. Yeah. But if you can get one 75% less, that starts to diminish in your mind the value of the lab grown, mm -hmm. perhaps, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, even, um, you know, Tag Hoya's CEO, uh, Frederick Arnault, he said, it's not about replacing traditional diamonds with lab-grown diamonds. Mm -hmm. So I think the sort of general misconception is that they are gonna be replaced, they're gonna drive the whole sort of value of diamonds in general down. But I guess, like you said, that's not the case. I mean, you, you look at natural pearls and cultured pearls. Mm -hmm. When cultured pearls came on the market, nobody would buy a natural pearl. Everybody was buying cultured pearls. Mm -hmm. Now, if you try to buy natural pearls at market, they are selling a huge, 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 heavy price. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could pay a million bucks for a natural pearl necklace. Right. That they're, they're, they're incredibly rare because people stopped harvesting for natural pearls because everybody was buying cultured. Mm -hmm. So if you see everybody going to lab-grown diamonds, they're gonna stop buying, buy, mining natural diamonds. Mm -hmm. And so then as that happens, you're gonna see the supply of those go down. You're gonna see a glut on the lab grown. And then people are gonna be like, oh, but I want the, the real thing yeah. over here. Right. And so then perhaps you see the cost of natural diamonds yeah. coming back up. So, I mean, this is all we will see. We have 30, 50 years to see what's gonna happen on this. It's incredibly exciting. I mean, I, 
I, I, I never imagined when I became a gemologist in 2013 that we would be talking about labron diamonds and I would be standing here going, they are the exact same thing. Yeah. GIA is grading them exactly like they're um, grading a natural diamond. And it's completely up to the listeners out there to educate themselves and to make the choice on how they want to spend their money. Well, thank you so much for your expert take on this. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure.